0: This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 5th of July 2023 at home in Wicklow and it is an episode looking at institutional breakdown. Last week's episode I talked a lot about trust but I was talking about trust on a kind of interpersonal basis and trusting oneself as well was looked at Um, But there is a a story playing out here in Ireland at the moment, which is the epitome of institutional corruption and um, the breakdown in trust of a national institution. In this case, the the national broadcaster in Ireland, uh, RTE. And so I'm looking at that and looking just kind of looking at my own thoughts around why that happens and why I was in no way surprised Um, and I try towards the end of the episode to look at the idea of self-control and how self-control might be the only thing that can that can kind of challenge institutional thinking or institutional culture uh, when you're within it I also site in passing the stanford prison experiment and the um oh, i'm going to forget what it is the wilgram obedience uh experiment as well um and hamlet shakespeare's very own danish prince he gets a little bit of airtime as well um and the the, the relevance is uh <laughs> the relevance is his complete disillusionment with the human condition so um, there you go doesn't that that, sound, that sounds so enticing doesn't it so get ready that's what's coming up I hope you can make time to listen to the whole episode and I will see you there around the corner cheers Ooh, not gonna change my mind living the dream Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out, my weekly dabble in the affairs of life, my weekly plunge into whatever makes us tick, whatever makes me tick, <laughs> you're a terrible tick and yeah, I never really know where I'm going to go that's just the way I roll so I have one main thing to kick around the yard this week and I will get there in due course but first a word to you how are you I'm asking for real (laughs) how are you is life going well Is the day going well? Is the moment going well? The year, the decade. Where are you at? Have you just gotten over something? Are you facing into something tough? Are you staying in the moment? That is is the challenge. It's an ongoing challenge, that one can you be present easily easily spoken about many people will wax lyrical about mindfulness and being present but not always easy to achieve that, to achieve that on a a regular basis so many things flitting across the cinema screen of our mind Minds and so many things scrambling for our, our attention, and that attention isn't just a cognizant, intellectual, observational, noticing attention, it's also emotional. And maybe, maybe the, uh, the emotional attentiveness. The emotional radar, the emotional barometer, maybe that's the one that really pulls us this way and that. I think it's the most challenging, I mean barring a mental illness, barring some some sort of imbalance in the brain, barring major traumatic events, barring drug induced this that or the other barring the wiring just simply being that way I think the uh, it's the emotional stuff that um, knocks us knocks us for six and it's the emotional stuff that shapes us so profoundly and shapes our belief systems about ourselves and about others and if we can't get to grips with that, we are in a battle. We are in a battle, an ongoing battle. If we can't get that stuff right, uh, and as I say, I mean, I'm, I am, I am saying that with the qualifier that I'm aware there are many facets to battling that are very many facets to personal battles and struggles and demons and it's not purely the emotional life and it's not as simple as that of course um but so many things are interconnected and whether it's psychological or emotional um physical even Um, we can often try to uh, find ways to avert or divert to elude and evade and simply sidestep slip away disappear turn around choose a different path and hope hope it all goes away that's the wind that's the wind of denial (laughs) Blowing away our troubles, our worries, our deep, deep, personal, internal crises. (laughs) And we can shape ourselves into the most extraordinary shapes. And we call it normal. (laughs) We're, We're walking down the road on one side of our little toe with our ribs hoiked one side our head twisted the other side an ear to the sky perhaps one extended hand tickling ever so gently forward one hand behind stuck to the hip with the elbow like a rudder behind us and we call it normal doesn't everybody walk this way doesn't everybody make this shape to negotiate the pathway of everyday progress everyday living living with oneself that's the thing though isn't it i mean i believe that I, I think it's always that the living with oneself that is that is the challenge and fair play to you as we like to say in this part of the world fair play to you if you don't have to think about that fair play to you if you've dealt with your shit if you are resolved if you are resolute if you are whole fair play and of course you might just be busy 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 immersed in life immersed in commerce immersed in career immersed in upward mobility upward trajectory moving forward always forward like the great white shark that you are the predator maybe maybe that's quite grandiose isn't it maybe you're not a predator maybe you're maybe you're krill (laughs) maybe you're plankton maybe you're less than that but that doesn't mean you're any less valuable any less significant I mean it's all relative and I'm wary of that. I'm wary of endless, the endless application of relativity, because it can rob us of any meaning, of any true understanding or context. It's the great it's the great kind of get out of jail card. It's the great hedging position, it's the great avoidant position. Everything's relative. Well, yeah all relative and you can apply 50 million different qualifying conditions and suddenly it's like what were we talking about yeah so i I don't like that personally i mean a, a bit of relevant relativity um i think can be of use a bit of relativity rooted in perspective or context or I don't know. Personal history? I don't know. Family? I don't know. Country, culture, identity? All of those things. They're, they're, not, they're not little things, are they? I pause to drink. Ah, water. Water. I had a, a teacher when I was in school deceased in recent years and I was sorry to hear of his passing because I was very fond of him he was an English teacher of mine and a history and geography teacher and he was from Kerry in the south of Ireland and when teaching us geography and the rain cycle he would talk about water 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 and for some reason one if not two of my classmates used to find this absolutely hilarious water anyway best of luck to him wherever he may be now he i i I greatly enjoyed his his time my time in his classes his time at the head of my classes with him he was a good man i have a an old friend who has had a completely different and quite jaundiced view of him and made some very paranoid dubious in my opinion claims about being victimized uh, but again unreliable unreliable narrator unreliable storyteller goes back to last week i was talking about trust do you trust me should I have trusted my friend, I, th- I didn't, he was no longer a friend and that wasn't an accident <laughs> so there you go, anyway um, it's warm, it's warm here this evening it's warm here in the the home studio at Hashtag Blessed and this is the BBC World Service yes, now, speaking of the BBC World Service The BBC, that great institution, that great media institution. The BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, I believe. And the BBC is, is, what, a watchword for quality? We expect a certain standard from the Beeb. And um, the Beeb's tentacles reach very far. It has a presence in many parts of the world. But the BBC, a a great sort of British bastion of of a sort of a leading standard in media communication and um, a national treasure of its own kind. And what is the equivalent here on this emerald isle what is the equivalent here the land of Rochin dove what is the equivalent the equivalent is r-t-e that is radio telefish erin which simply translated is radio television ireland and r-t-e the national broadcaster here in ireland is currently mired in controversy, mired in shame and ignominy, mired in filthy lucre, mired in backhanders and dodgy financial carry-on. And the question is, is anybody surprised? I mean, is anybody actually surprised is anyone anywhere ever really truly surprised when a large storied institution is making up its own rules is doing things it should not be doing is showing total disregard for given standards behaviors and practices is anybody truly shocked maybe 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 you think not our television network surely not look i'm so not shocked i've barely bothered to take in the fine points of this controversy but very simply a leading rte personality a tv and radio presenter by the name of ryan toberty irish listeners you know of whom i speak ryan toberty was the presenter of ireland's long-running television chat show late night television chat show called the late late show very simple there was a time when the late late show was hugely significant to the popular culture of ireland hugely Significant to the very many people who had nothing better to do than sit home and watch two and a half hours of chat and social commentary, Um, occasionally some entertainment. Um, Originally chaired by Gay Byrne, deceased, a storied broadcaster from Irish television and radio. He was succeeded by Pat Kenny, who didn't last that long. Another very established, popular radio journalist broadcaster. He wasn't quite so good on TV, and um, I may have I may have given Pat <laughs> I may have given Pat some airtime here on the podcast, giving out about how inappropriate he was one time when interviewing Greta Scacchi, and he was just embarrassingly lascivious, um like a schoolboy asking questions about nude film scenes and it was just oh my sweet Jesus, Pat, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you are you serious? Anyway, Ryan Toberty took over from Pat. Um I think before I went out to Australia, so maybe it was 2008 or 2009 maybe it was earlier than that so he's had a a good long stint anyway he retired Ryan Tuberty is he must be a similar age to me late 40s early 50s if even he may even be younger but um he retired at the end of this year's season about a month ago and there's lots of uh ringing of hands and blowing blowing of noses um by those who care about these things and ah uh, Ryan and what do you do now? And Ryan, oh I feel a bit strange not you know knowing I'm up in the chair anymore. And then mere weeks later, it um it transpired that Ryan had been getting some rather large sums of money from RTE. Some large sums of money that seemed to be sort of off the books. Large sums of money that went into his account that Ryan claimed not really to be aware of because he doesn't check his account. Large sums of money. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of euros. And people started to ask questions and go, What? Really? Our Ryan? RTE? And so basically the general thrust is that RTE have had you could call it a, a slush fund, a barter fund, um just this lovely lovely uh, wardrobe filled with barrels of money, um that they just use for little sweeteners and bonuses for those who were in favour and uh, guarantees were made in tougher times, i.e. the pandemic that payments would keep moving in the right direction there would be no reduction in money Um and all the while facing outwards to the the you know to the public RT was making claims of you know austerity and having to kind of cut budgets and tighten belts and all that sort of crap and it turns out they were filling their boots with loot and that is a publicly funded company. And so there is uproar. Uproar. And the question was asked. The question was asked of a of a government minister today. Will heads roll? And government ministers being the political beasts that they are, the answer was, Well, but I don't really like that sort of language, those sort of phrases we have to take this you know you know and and apply due process and uh he sounded very measured and respectable of course but um it does feel it does feel like heads should roll and um maybe young mr tuberty's head should roll and other people in positions of power should roll the director at rte um But yeah I was as I say I mean I I haven't gone deep into the details of this story because I just thought yeah sure of course you know you know why would that be surprising why would that be surprising an institution that's a law unto itself an institution that feels very secure in granting itself special dispensations to do what it will with an excess of money and it just got me thinking it just got me thinking what was I thinking about was I thinking about trust which I spent an entire episode talking about last week and in last week's episode I didn't really I didn't I didn't really touch on institutional trust um partly because I felt I'd be having a a conversation like this where I'd have to say the, 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 the default position of any thinking person, any thinking adult, is surely that most institutions are extraordinarily fallible and corrupt and guilty of unethical like institutionalized unethical practices um it does seem anecdotally it does seem historically looking uh, over the, the the years that all of these institutions that supposedly hold up our our societies banks and and schools and churches and health institutions and care institutions and political institutions that they've all failed profoundly to not be corrupted they've all failed profoundly not to abuse their power Um, and of course there are people who resist and there are people who try to fight the good fight and do the right thing and there are whistleblowers and there are regulators, and there are tribunals, and there are exposes in the media, hard working journalists sniffing out the scoop, all that kind of thing. And there maybe there's atonement, maybe there's punishment, maybe there's recriminations, fines, prison sentences, but ultimately there's always another generation that thinks we're the ones who won't get caught we're the ones who can do what we want we're the ones who grant ourselves permission because no one's looking no one's saying anything to us and that that must be tacit approval, unspoken approval an unseen nod of the head I don't know I don't know I was um, I don't know people were just uh, were just so fallible yes I say we I have to say we it would be so arrogant to not include us (laughs) that's me and you whoever's out there whoever's out there listening we're fallible we're part of this this uh this 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 joke (laughs) this joke of a race the human race capable of such lovely things such lovely things i almost i almost feel i almost feel like quoting hamlet um yes yes I almost feel like quoting Hamlet except my my memory of the key speech is is failing me but it is the what a piece of work is a man speech he's he's having such a moment of utter despair in the goodness of the human race young Hamlet after the murder of his father at the hands of his uncle, his father's brother, and his own mother is sleeping with that brother. And Hamlet is just like, what the hell? What the actual hell? Man delights not me, no, nor woman neither. And it's a great speech. It is a just a brilliant brilliant speech and I might I like that I love that speech so much and it was used to such great effect at the end of Withnail and I with the absolutely jaded and somewhat heartbroken Richard E. Grant delivering that speech I feel it was in the rain it may not have been and wasn't he talking to the hyenas in the cage at London Zoo he delivers that speech beautifully. He's got a great voice, Richard E. Grant. I did mention that in a recent episode of the podcast, having listened to him being interviewed on Adam Buxton's podcast. A great interview. And he was a lovely interviewee, a lovely guest. Um, Yeah, and great to listen to. Um, But yeah, I think... I think that has to be the 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 default position is of course people are going to be crap and of course they're going to fail and of course they're going to disappoint they're going to let you down let me down let us down i mean that's something we you know we we seem um forever capable of and that is disappointing others (laughs) no matter no matter how well no matter how well you think you're doing someone somewhere is going to be disappointed someone somewhere is going to look at you and write on your report card could do better (laughs) yeah so i mean the way i think about that is it depends how much i care about that depends on who is experiencing the disappointment it depends on you know who depends on whom I'm letting down and it'll go eh. some people I care more about their opinion than others I care more about their approval than others and some people I just go nah you know because that expectation what's it based in what's it rooted in where's that coming from and I don't trust it so I'm not going to engage with it so see you later yeah so these these bozos at RTE these shameless devious I want to say dickheads (laughs) I said it you're just thinking come on lads for god's sake how much money do you need really how much money do you need and i really don't know i really don't know as someone who at no point i i mean i can't point to a single time in my life where there's been a comfortable level of of money and that's 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 i mean that is absolutely tethered to my own personal choices that is nobody's fault that is, no one's to blame for that and it is what it is and 95 percent of the time i'm absolutely comfortable with that i know the choices i've made i know the type of work i I've done I know the qualifications I do not have (laughs) I know the, the 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 desires I do not have I know the goals I do not have and I am largely very happy with the choices I've made and I have alluded to this before if not expressed it explicitly of course there are times when I'm looking looking at my next birthday, when I'm looking at the, the midlife crisis age of 50 and I think, could I have done better, really? Should I have done better? Should I have made, should I have made different choices? Should I have pursued something more conventional and looked to line my pockets, looked to fill my boots with something uh, other than good vibes and good intentions <laughs> which I find I can't spend in many shops <laughs> and I don't think the um, the property market in Ireland is interested in uh, in my wallet full of of resolute intentions and mindfulness and wellness and Conscientious mental health practices. They're like, what? No, I, I I'd rather have five hundred thousand euros for a modest house. Um, yes, but anyway, I'm. I'm digressing. I'm digressing. Time for more water. Yeah, so try to think why did I go there oh yeah money how much money is enough money so like so many things so many aspects of of life so many aspects of lifestyle so many aspects of quality of life so many aspects of how we understand those things so many aspects of how we understand the standard the level the the, the the baseline of what we expect and the baseline of what we think we deserve so much of all of that all of these things I've just mentioned I believe um Suffers from a distortion, a distortion of expectation, a distortion of a sense of desert, as in what a distortion of what one believes one deserves. And I look at those money grabbing crooks in RTE and I can't shake this feeling that they feel we deserve this we deserve it we deserve to have more um, we deserve it and I think how do you get to that position how do you get that, to that position of thinking I deserve all of this now And again, I, you know, I'm not here to, you know, have shots at people. (laughs) But (laughs) it's my, it's my perception. Maybe it's my instinct, uh, my my intuition. There's a lot of generationally very wealthy people who have come from money and enjoy a certain amount of wealth. And their belief is that, yes, they deserve it. I don't know it is what it is I mean the royal family you know the British royal family do they do they deserve it they deserve you know those ludicrous amounts of money that they have the ludicrous uh, amounts of land property that they have I'm not sure is that earned I mean I can say without any qualms what I have I've earned what very little I have I've earned and I've earned very little (laughs) and again that's fine that's fine I am very clear about that I'm very clear about the paths I've taken and I'm at a stage in my life where I'm going hmm how much time do I have left (laughs) to maybe make some different choices um, and certainly, I certainly I how my wife views things, and um yes, that is that is an area of considerable tension in my marriage. um but we soldier on, we soldier on and hopefully uh, hopefully the goods outweigh the bads, the goods and the bads who I heard someone say that the goods outweigh the bads I can I can hear someone saying that some voice I can hear from a movie from another podcast I don't know anyway whatever so yeah a distortion there is a distortion so you know this distortion we have of how we should look the life we should have where we should live what we should be enjoying um and there's a there's been a sort of an exacerbation of the the consumerist impulse the lifestyle chasing impulse it's been exacerbated by these many years now of social media of the online life of the online spectacle of what people present to the world online how much we can see how much access we have to people who have done very well for themselves by their own merits or not we see so much more of the world we see so much more of the world and we start to believe yeah I should have that I should enjoy that and I don't know how realistic that is and I mentioned before how the Late Late Show was such a significant staple of Irish cultural life um, back in the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s particularly and it started to wane probably through the 90s as Ireland started to kind of stand up in the world culturally and financially um, and found more confidence as a country and started to look outwards much more and in the subsequent 20 to 30 years that's only increased that sense of looking outwards and that sense of being interconnected with the rest of the world and having a much larger frame of reference to draw on and a much larger canvas um, on which to place oneself as an Irish person. And so the Late Late Show has kind of stayed as what it was in a way. There's something that remains quite parochial about it, which was all we needed back in the day and its relevance was very real back in the day um because many socially um socially kind of hot issues like very many topical issues played out um on that show um sort of public interrogations and elaborations and explorations and investigations and revelations and there were many moments cultural moments moments of great cultural significance that happened on that show and the eyes of ireland were watching and that is simply no longer the case not to the same extent um I think the Late Late Show enjoys viewing figures uh, around the 300,000 mark. Um, So that's what? That's less than a tenth of the population, isn't it? Um, It is, it is. So what do you make of that? You know, fewer than one, in ten people in Ireland are watching that show what does that say about it's significance and it's relevance and why then should the presenter of that show get little backhanders, little brown envelopes little chunky extra payments that go up to the hundreds of thousands of euros and then he claims to not be aware of it but very conveniently he's he's vacated the seat before this scandal broke and now it's apparently saying he will cooperate with any inquiry and you kind of think really do you have any credibility at all now i don't know maybe not probably not it's all just a misunderstanding lads we didn't realize we weren't allowed to do that and you just think whichever feck of would you ever cop on to yourselves? Would you stop insulting the intelligence of the people of this country? Just put your hand up and say we were greedy so-and-sos. We didn't give a shit about anybody else except ourselves. Because that's the truth really, isn't it? A bit like Arnold last week. That whole trust issue comes up again. So... Anyway, I was about to say fifteen minutes or so ago, pause for drink again. It did get me thinking. It did get me thinking about the whole idea of self-control, self-control, um, and institutionalized thinking, like um, restraint. Self-restraint um, and institutionalized behavior, institutionalized culture, and it led me back to the the Stanford prison experiment of nineteen seventy-one, and the the other the other experiment that preceded the stanford prison experiment that i think that I, I i i think i conflated them in my mind there was an earlier psychological experiment the what was it called the the the, the grim wall grim hold on i'm gonna have to look it up i'm annoyed now um the grim something obedience test wasn't that it? Grim obedience training. That's not right, does it? Let's see what they give me. No. Damnation. No. <laughs> Google, <laughs> Google has given me um, Google has given me dog training. Grim obedience training. Bloody hell, that sounds bad, doesn't it? um hold on it's obedience training experiment 1960s that's the one where people were giving the subjects um electric shocks yes does that sound right to you oh man it's staying with dog training how annoying Oh, there it is, Milgram. I was thinking, grim Graham. The Milgram, Milgram, M I L G R A M, Milgram obedience um, experiment. Yeah. And that experiment, people, <laughs> people grew more and more comfortable at administering apparently lethal electric shocks to to a stranger um at the behest of an authority figure so now i know th- th- maybe these maybe me citing these experiments you know, on the stanford the stanford prison experiment involved the subjects of that experiment role playing as prison guards and as prisoners and the prison guards were given a sort of they were presented with an expectation that they would be pretty tough and stern and um, they they certainly acted out on that to such an extent that certain of the prisoners um, had to had to sort of flee the experiment or try and get out of it and the experiment was abandoned after six days was meant to last for two weeks And the the, the findings generally are considered to have shown how institutionalised behaviour can override um, ethical guidelines and personal morality. Uh, When people feel they are stepping into a, a role, a particular role, and... They continue in that role with the approval of the institution for which they are, are working or are being employed in that role. And the, the, um, the Milgram experiment, as well, that idea that, well, someone else has told me to do this, I'm doing it for them, uh, I'm administering this electric shock and i'm increasing the voltage but someone else is asking me to do it therefore i am not responsible therefore that's my my get out clause and i think maybe that was cited um as as evidence after uh, after the fact after um the second world war that this is you know one of the reasons that so many Um, soldiers on the on the Nazi side of things so many soldiers of the Third Reich um, behaved so abhorrently and committed such horrendous crimes against um, the Jewish race and you know the 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 inmates at the various concentration camps because we're just following the orders and hannah arendt of course coined the phrase the banality of evil that it's just mundane going about our daily duties um exterminating these these human beings that we consider less than human and i'm drawing yes i am drawing a connection i am drawing a connection to what's going on at rte because it's the it's the behavior that is being condoned within the organization it's the the behavior that is being approved of within the organization it is that sense of permission granted that there is nobody saying hey stop that hey you're way outside what you should be doing rein it back in and I think that is, I, I, I don't think that's a, a tenuous parallel um, or a tenuous connection to make. I think this is something that, that humans do. Um, and I know things like compliance and audits and regulation, they're, they're meant to be the sort of checks and balances that stop this behaviour from happening. Um, but, and, and also maybe the, the rotation of senior staff members, the rotation of like director generals or CEOs or whatever it might be, um, I believe, according to, uh, I think they, uh, they received wisdom uh, according to my, well, my cousin Cormac, who's a very successful businessman. Um, is five years is the is the standard um, expectation of how of how long a CEO will be effective before becoming stale before they start to kind of wane somewhat with their efficacy or their um, business acuity and you know these are the things that are meant to to stop the rot. Um, and i don't know i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong to kind of you know to be say stating um with with such conviction or certainty that this is all just inevitable uh fallible human behavior and there's nothing you know there's nothing to see here it's, you know nothing we haven't seen before you're very naive if you're shocked Um, but I don't know, I think uh, there's so much evidence, isn't there, throughout history and modern history and modern business practices and modern institutional failure. And when I say modern, I mean over the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years, Um, so much evidence to say the institutions will fail and people will fail. And abuse of power will take place and disregard for those with less power will be just a matter of of, 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 uh, of daily practice. Um, and I suppose like that's that's I think probably what is sticking in the craw of so many people. Just this sort of apparent contempt for the rest of the country. Um, at a time when ireland's you know of course this is around the world where the cost of living has been rocketing where inflation um has been prohibitive where so many people are struggling to make ends meet so many people are struggling to pay their rent or pay their mortgages or You know, keep the house warm, pay their fuel bills, keep a car on the road, pay their insurance costs, you know, pay for health care. Just their simple food shopping bill. Everything is so bloody expensive. And then you've got these, these, uh, these people, because they are people, just laughing all the way to the bank or all the way to the, the golf trip or all the way to the special event, the gig, the resort, whatever um, and it leaves a bad taste in the mouth it leaves a very bad taste in the mouth um, and yeah, it just has me it has me wondering about that whole idea of, of self-control, like what stays the hand what stops one Dipping their hand in the till. Dipping their hand in the cookie jar. Is it the fear of punishment? Is it the fear of being caught? Is it the fear of being seen? If you know you're not going to be seen. If you know no one's there to check. If you know nobody's looking at you. That's when self-control really matters, isn't it? Because when someone's watching it's it's, it's, it's easier. <laughs> It's easier to go, look at me, look at me being good and not doing the bad thing. Look at me. Um, I mean, that, that very, very idea of the unseen crime, the unseen bad behavior. Isn't that why so much shit goes on behind closed doors? Isn't that why so many horrible things happen to people behind closed doors? because it is unseen i mean the the entire history of domestic violence and abuse sexual abuse child abuse battery assault all of those things so many of those things happen behind closed doors so many of those things happen in unseen places and it gives the perpetrator the sense of I can, I can do this and I'm not going to sit here and start trying to iterate any sort of rationale um for the like the psychology or the the impulse to do those things um to anybody let alone a family member let alone a child let alone a spouse um I won't insult your intelligence um, and insult you know people who've been through that and insult professionals who deal with that. Um, but I think I'm right. I think I'm right in that idea of the unseen and the sense, the belief, the perception that I am not seen, I'm not being seen, doing this terrible thing and then you're on your own you're on your own with whatever your moral compunction is or your ethical compunction whatever it is that makes you go "eh, i can do this or whatever it is within you that makes you go i'm not doing this because i can't live with myself if i do this and i'm not sure what that looks like for any other individual but i believe for myself it's rooted in self-control and that's something to actively engage in and certainly coming from the the martial arts background that I come from self-control is a huge part of the martial arts mind the psychology of the martial artist self-control can I control my emotions can I stay my own hand can I manage to not respond to the sting in, of pride the sting of embarrassment the desire for a reaction a response the, the, a desire to, to lash out kind of control that impulse and I think my feeling about it is in a, in a martial arts context the, and i have spoken about this before in earlier episodes of the pod the erasure of ego is a very key objective for the dedicated martial artist and it is self effacement it is removing oneself from the art and letting the art be what it is um and that that's that's very tricky because when i when you know when you put yourself into it and you put yourself at the center of your practice your practice is going to be it's going to be susceptible to all your own fears and foibles and flaws and anxieties but if you can do that mind game of going no the art is what it is and it exists independently of me i am merely the vessel the conduit i am merely what animates the art and the art is effective and the art is beautiful and the art if done right will be effective and get the job done um but we get in our own way, our fear gets in our own way, our anxiety, our uncertainty, our self-doubt gets in our own way and then you do need to wield that self-control and go, no, I'm going to override the emotions, I'm going to override the doubts and put myself in that other place which takes me out of this so I can look dispassionately at the situation and be more effective Um, and self-control is definitely located in that area but I don't know maybe there's a contradiction there if you're someone who's taking huge wallops of money from somebody walking out of RTE With gold coins tinkling in your shoes, in your pockets, in your undies. (laughs) And are you being dispassionate and kind of going, this is not happening to me. I am not here in the centre of this thing. So maybe there's a denial and maybe maybe that's just the flip side of what i was talking about to take one's self out of the art maybe and i'm you know because i was presenting that in very positive terms to make one more effective to cool one's blood to have a cool head to temper one's temper Um. and denial is sort of the dark side of that that this has no consequences and in a way to take that idea of this has no consequences back over let's cross the line back over to martial arts that's actually been very in the moment this has no consequences because when we think of the consequences we think oh i'm gonna get really hurt if this goes wrong i'm gonna get beaten up i'm gonna get my you know my teeth knocked out i'll get my nose broken my leg broken my ribs broken black eyes blood etc I'm going to have my my <laughs> my reputation shattered. They're all consequences, but if I can say no, there's no consequences. There's just respond to what's in front of you. That's different, isn't it? But back, let's cross over to the dark side and go to RTE, and all these people having a great old time, and they're saying maybe they're saying there's no consequences. Because there have been no consequences historically. Because we've been doing this for years. Because this is the culture. This is what has been done always. And I don't know if it's an always situation. But under the current regime it appears to have been an always situation. So self-control. What does that look like? Can you say I want that but I don't need that? And act on the second part of that I don't need it therefore I'm walking away I don't need it therefore I'm going to quell that appetite or is self-control bringing in a certain mindfulness and kind of doing the um, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder and going, I'm gonna flick that devil off my shoulder and listen to the angel. I mean, that's the the cartoonish version of personal morality. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge, huge believer in the idea that everybody knows where the line is everybody knows where the line is unless you have some sort of pathological condition unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath I do not know the difference Um, but do you know what I mean like I yeah (laughs) I stopped myself I was about to go, go and give you a personal story but I won't um, we know where the line is. We know where the line is. I've spoken about this before. I sh- I'm sure I've spoken about this before. Turn, I, I think the context was was the context. Um, poof. Was the context? The context was was it was it was it flirting? Was it male female interaction? Was it? sex it wasn't sex explicitly but it was it was in that area of knowing where the line is I think maybe I was talking in, in maybe I was talking about the, the me too stuff the um, referring broadly in general to the very many in, instances of women being assaulted or abused or exploited or taken advantage of or pressurised intimidated um, you know you name it Um, and my argument is yeah we you know we all know where the line is you know when you're crossing the line and if that's within within the you know the, the social codes of adult sexual interaction or flirtation um, we know where the line is we know when we're we're crossing the line and raising the stakes and I don't believe for a second that that doesn't also apply when we're talking about backhanders when we're talking about money that is not earned or deserved um, I believe that's very much the case in financial practices um, people know where the line is and if you're given if you're given permission by your institution to erase that line to pretend or to pretend that that line isn't there or to pretend that that line is in a very very different place a place that doesn't exist on you know account books are in account records or on spreadsheets um, people know everybody bloody knows come on don't tell me they didn't know of course they know but again institutional practices institutional cultures can blur those lines because it's the given behavior it's the received practice and it's the implied consent it's the implied green light and so i suppose if if i go back to um if i go back to that idea uh, you know sorry not the idea but if i go back to where i was originally citing or talking about this idea of we all know where the line is and you're talking about you know men and women and men uh you know transgressing or men choosing not to see where the line is that can be just an individual's choice that can be you know one person and of course a woman can do that as well i don't know i don't gender this and bias it solely on on men it was just i was talking about the me too um you know the me too kind of frame but I think if you're the type of man who indulges in casual you know misogyny or sexism um, and you're doing that with the sense of this is approved of I have the approval of my peers I have the approval of all other men that I know that is a green light and so that's a you know you can say that's an institution of its own is that the institution of of, of brotherhood an institution of manhood now I'd argue that there are very many different silos of, of manhood very many different groupings and social groups and communities and I mean I spoke last week about you know the kind of particular iteration of masculinity that Arnold Schwarzenegger um Epitomized or epitomizes and it's one it's one thing, and men can be many different things um but that idea of approval um and believing I have the approval of others to do this thing um and again, if you're a psychopath you're you're only you know you only have your own approval to do um You know the most extreme things, but I think self control is rooted in a sense of personal disapproval, in you know, in not you know, and not in a low self esteem sense of personal disapproval, but a sense of moral or ethical disapproval of certain behaviours in oneself. To go, I'm not going to do that because that's not what I believe in. It's not what I value, and. I'll be the I'll be a better happier person and I mean not better than anybody else just a better version of myself if I don't do that thing um and I think you know the, you know we, I I you know I I was thinking would you put this in terms of tougher choices but it's not really a tough choice is it if if you're applying a morality that you subscribe to deeply then it's not a tough choice at all then it's easy to uphold um, ethical practices and I mean maybe that's very judgmental of me then to imply that the people in RTE um, failed to apply their personal morality or maybe their personal morality gave them permission to do what they did. So yeah. What's the conclusion? What's the conclusion? The conclusion is you got to think for yourself. You've got to work your shit out for yourself. And don't be a sheep. And don't disingenuously pretend you don't know where the line is. Don't disingenuously pretend you don't know the difference between right and wrong don't disingenuously pretend you didn't notice an extra 300 grand in your bank account i tell you what i'd notice (laughs) i'd notice an extra few hundred in my bank account um and that's it i mean you know like this is this is a you know a, a fundamental tenet of how i think about mental health and wellness and it's personal responsibility and it's it's you know don't go down don't go for the blame game um you've got to look after yourself you've got to set your own code and you've got to conduct yourself in a way that you believe is fitting and right to to better live with yourself and i think that is tethered to a personal morality um some sort of credo um because life's too short you don't want to be looking over your shoulder going what did i do who did i speak to what did i do there when did i do that because then how can you relax how can you focus on the next thing in the path if you're constantly looking backwards it's no good it doesn't work you got to get your house in order sort yourself out i mean maybe you maybe you're already maybe you've been doing that all along and you're like yeah it's 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 very clear what's gone on and it's very clear i wouldn't be doing that you know that's you talking about yourself (laughs) i mean you like to think you'd like to think you'd do the right thing when you know when given the opportunity you'd like to think you'd do the right thing when presented with the temptation the easy the easy steal the easy take you'd like to think you'd do the right thing and see I do believe in that if more people more people and they're out there they're out there aren't they in spite of the cynicism that I've presented across this episode there's lots of good people out there there's lots of people who know the story are just using a bit of cop on and a bit of just decency and again, I don't want to get too judgy. It's like, oh, what the hell? What's the point? Of course, you know, this isn't about point scoring. I mean, you know, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares about what I'm saying anyway. So it's, you know, it's totally moot. Okay, look, there you go. I've gone a bit, um, I've probably gone a bit longer than I expected. I was, I was planning to do this a bit shorter. Um, will I finish? Why don't I finish with something creative? something artistic let me dig out the, um, the 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 hamlet speech what a piece of work is man hamlet is that it that looks very short come on give me the full <laughs> full text let's see oh my goodness okay i'm gonna see if this gives it to me looks a bit short to me i mean i could pause this and then go and get my copy of hamlet now the speech let's see oh here we go here you go yeah 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 that's it that's it so again this is this is the ultimate the ultimate expression of despair in the human condition, despair in human yeah, you know, despair at despair in the face of humankind. And as I said earlier, it's it's Hamlet after his father has been killed by his uncle, his father's brother, who he knows is sleeping with his mother. And Hamlet no longer sees the bright side (laughs) he he no longer sees the bright side of life it's just it's just the pits and he says very simply I have of late but wherefore I know not lost all my mirth foregone all custom of exercises and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you. This brave o'erhanging firmament. This majestical roof, fretted with golden fire. Why? Why? It appears no other thing to me than a foul and pestilent congregation of vapours. What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason! How infinite in faculty! In form and moving, how express and admirable! In action, how like an angel! In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world. The paragon of animals. And yet, to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. No, nor woman neither. Though by your smiling, you seem to say so yeah it's a great speech I think he's 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 speaking to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern at that stage if I recall correctly um, yeah it's great I love it I used to carry a copy of Hamlet around with me <laughs> it just comfort, it comforted me to know it was close if I wanted to take it out of my bag and just look at some of that beautiful language ...and express those extraordinary... ...extraordinarily relatable sentiments... ...of that... ...that spurned prince... ...that heartbroken prince... (laughs) ...okay there you go... ...on that completely depressing note... ...I will wrap things up for another week... ...thank you... ...thank you for listening... ...did this feel like a rant... ...it shouldn't have... ...I don't think I was ranting... Um, if you want to throw me some love on social media you will find all the relevant links icons wherever you're listening to this and you can throw me some love a comment a recommend a share a rating a subscription if you want to support this independent podcast you can do so using the patreon link or patreon whichever you prefer patreon.com forward slash the clear out And I would welcome anything you can give. So don't worry if you can't. Spread the word. And um, yeah. Keep coming back, I suppose. So that's it. I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. And as always, mind yourselves. All right. All the best. Take it easy. See you. Bye.